please take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John, the fourth chapter. As our choir introduced that, that time of worship, they shared a song about loving God and loving others. And, and one of the things that I really believe, if we could get that right, if we could really begin to get right what it means to love God and to love others in every way, shape, and form, we would begin to so radically change this world that, that God's power and His authority would truly be seen. You see, it is, it is the church's mandate to love people. And, and we have to understand, and I'm going to address this a little more fully next week, but, but we have to truly understand what it means to love and what it means to, to love in a way that God loves and, and all that goes with that and all that, that is there. But, but this morning, and you know, we've been in 1 John now for, for several months, and you know, this series could be entitled Continuing Lessons in Love, that... that that God wants to develop and to grow and to mature us to a place in our relationship with Him that we truly understand what it means to love as Christ loved. And John's central purpose, when he wrote this letter to the New Testament church, he was dealing with a very specific group of people. And, and his aim, his goal in writing this was encouraging them to continue in the process of love, to really reach maturity in their life. Forgiveness and pardon were the beginning basis bases of their faith relationship. Okay? That's where they started. That's where we all start. We all come to, to grace the same way, through faith in God's ability to forgive and to pardon. But that is not the end of our faith. And, and so John was encouraging them here to, to move forward in the completion of Christ. And, and the completion of Christ, as he says in one of the very first verses we're going to look at today, is that we understand that as he is in heaven, the complete and total model and example of love, that you and I become that model of example and love in every single thing that we do today. And as I progress in love, a couple of things happen to my life. One is I begin to be humble. I become more and more aware of, of, of just how much God's love for me really means. And as I'm humbled in that process, the, the second thing that begins to happen is I want more. I, I'm not satisfied to stay where I am in my relationship. I desire more. I get hungry for more. And that drives me or pushes me as the child of God to pursue that relationship with God the way that he wants me to. So this morning as we look at this and we talk about fear, what John said about putting fear in its proper place, allow God's word to challenge you uh, about your walk of faith, where you are. If you have your Bibles open there to 1 John chapter 4, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the word of God. Beginning in verse 17, in this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment for we are as he is in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. There's a couple of things that this passage teaches us. The first thing 
that, that John wanted this early New Testament church to understand was is that they knew where they stood. He wanted them to know their standing. Where are you? Where am I? Where are we in our relationship to Jesus Christ? John, you know, he, he, we're going to get to this later on. We get into 1 John 5. But these things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants us to understand the knowledge of, of who we are. That's not 1 John 5, 12, but it's 1 John 5. But he wants us to understand the knowledge that we have a foundation that says, this is who I am in Jesus Christ. And, and so John continues that thought process here, and he says in verse 17, in this, the love of God, remaining in God's love, as we've talked about the last few weeks, in this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, for we are as he is in this world. John is saying, as the believer remains in Christ, there is something that begins to happen. He says that that believer begins to process and they have a confidence. And that word there for confidence is a word that means boldness. That the child of God begins to be bold. Not arrogant, but begins to be bold in understanding their relationship. And what he says in verse 17 is, is that they are or that we are as he is in heaven. And, and what John wants them to grasp and to understand is that God looks upon the forgiven child of God as he looks upon the person of Jesus Christ. As Christ is in heaven, the, the example, the model, the, the forerunner of our faith, as he is in heaven, so are we seen here in the eyes of God in everything that we do. And so John said that that confidence, that boldness, gives us the ability to mature or to continue in our relationship with God. That's what he wanted this early church to grasp or to know, that, that this boldness gives us the ability to say, you know what, I am seen as God's child. And when I'm seen as God's child, I can have confidence that on the day of judgment, I don't have to fear. And so what happens to you and I sometimes is, Doubt begins to creep in. And instead of seeing ourselves in a relationship to God through the Father uh, because of who Jesus Christ is, we begin to allow that doubt to, to stifle us or to paralyze us in our relationship. And we just stay in that cycle. We don't mature in our faith. We stay in the cycle of doubt and we have no confidence. We are walking around constantly thinking, man, God's about to zap me. God's about to, to, to crush me. And, and, and John was writing to people who had come out of a pagan lifestyle. Okay, these weren't good people. These weren't people who kind of had some ideas of faith. These were people who had come out of a lifestyle totally foreign to the things of God. And, and he says to them, you can know where you stand. You can have confidence in your relationship to God and be seen, know that you are seen as he is in heaven. God wants you to understand. He wants us to have the confidence in our relationship to who he is because of faith. The first experience of your faith relationship probably is fear. You came to faith and then all of a sudden the moment you realized the grace of God and you accepted faith, if that's where you are today and you've had that relationship established, probably one of the first things you went through was fear. You started bringing to mind all the things that you had done and you started thinking, man, there is no way in the world that the God of the ages is going to forgive me. There's no way in the world that, that he's going to, to allow me to live. God, I mean, every time it thundered and lightened, 
you found a place to hide because you just knew one of the lightning bolts that God had was aimed at you to punish you. Yeah, he'd forgiven you, but he needed to get you back for all the stuff that you had done. What John says is as we mature in our faith, we begin to rest in the confidence that God is our Savior. And our boldness, not arrogance, but that boldness gives us a calm assurance to live the life of faith. It gives us a boldness to go and to, to proclaim by the very acts of our life that Jesus Christ is Lord. It gives us the ability to love people as God wants them to be loved. And we have the confidence to do that certain in who we are. The love of God in me produces genuine love for other people. You know, that's one of the things that I saw, and I'm going to try not to get into too much of this because there's a lot that's going on in my head right now. But that's one of the things that I saw so much on Friday on the Internet. we got to love everybody. You know, we're not to judge anybody. we got to love everybody. And that sounds so spiritual and so syrupy and so genuine and so heartfelt. And he's right. Everybody that wrote that, they're right. But what is love? You love your kids? You bet you do. Did you whip them when they got out of line? A generation ago you did. <laughs> now you just stand in the corner and hope. You know, that's a whole other sermon, okay? But, but all right. What we have to understand is this love, the complete. That's what I'm saying. If we could really get the love of God right, it would begin to impact society. It would begin to change churches. It would begin to change homes and change families. The love of God does change. And that's what John says. John says, as I mature in my faith, I have a confidence, not an arrogance, but a boldness that I can live the faith in in God the way I'm supposed to. And I can be bold in my faith out in the public, and I I can be bold in, in, in what I share with people, and I can be bold in the way I love people. So let me ask you a question. Does the evidence of your life, he says, as I mature, my life gives evidence. Is the evidence of your life that you're maturing in your faith? How do you know? Well, do you have some doubts? you still have some doubts, begin to submit those doubts to the presence of Messiah. When you have those doubts that begin to arise and you think, man, how could that thought be here? How could that word be here? How could I act like that? Begin to submit that to the presence of Messiah. God, I I know you are Lord. I know you've forgiven me. I know you're in my life. So God, I submit to you this. I ask you to mature me. I ask you to grow me so that we don't get into that cycle of doubt and become a doubting Christian that is not effective, that is anemic in our faith, that we we don't impact anybody that we touch because we're just walking around silent in who we are. Boldness, confidence that I am God's child. The story of the prodigal to me is one of the most beautiful stories in all of Scripture. Because it captures the essence of grace. And it captures how God sees us. Think about the son. And probably if you're, you're like most believers. I know I've been here before. I've said, God, if you'll just get me to heaven. I, just, I don't care about being a son of heaven. I just want to be a slave. A slave in heaven is better than, than a prince in hell. Just make me a slave in heaven. That's all I want. And probably if you're like me, there's been a time in your life where you, you bargain with God. Hey, God, if you'll just guarantee me slavery in heaven, I'm, I'm okay. And we're just like the prodigal son. What did he say? I'm I'm no longer worthy to be called a son in the eyes of my father. I'm going to go home and I'm going to make myself a slave. But the Bible says when his father saw him, a long way off he ran and he said, this son of mine. You see, even though the eyes of the son said he was just a slave, nothing had changed in the perspective 
of the Father. Do you understand what it means to be a child of God? You are not an also ran in the kingdom of heaven. You are not an also ran or just showed up. You are a child of the living God who loves you unconditionally. And when I mature in my faith, the second thing that John says begins to happen in verse 18. He says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears has not reached perfection in love. John is saying, he says, completed love begins to remove the thought process of future punishment from the life of the believer. They don't worry about judgment anymore. That begins to be removed. And and that word here for fear is a word that means phobia. Okay? It is okay. Hear me. It is okay to be on an airplane and something goes bump that you're not used to or accustomed to and you go, whoa, and you grab the seat a little tighter. That's okay. It's okay to be in a doctor's office and you get a diagnosis that you're uncomfortable or scared about and you have fear. That's not the kind of fear that the Bible's talking about. It's okay if you see a rattlesnake cold and shaking, ready to strike, to go, ah, I'm afraid of snakes. That's not the fear that the Word of God is talking about. There is healthy, natural fear. But what God's Word is talking about here is a phobia, a conjured up, something that paralyzes us. Here was the New Testament church. These guys had just come out of lifestyles that make you and I look like saints sometimes. And, and, And they were fearful the thought of standing before Almighty God and giving an account of everything they'd ever thought, said, or done scared them to death. And so John is writing to them, and he says there is no fear. You don't have to have this conjured up thing that keeps you paralyzed. You know, it's just like I used to, to read Romans 2. 16 and and man I would read that and it would just scare me because it says on that day when my God will judge all of our thoughts according to Jesus Christ which my gospel declares and I never got to the according to I would just get to that part where where it said God's going to judge all of my thoughts and I'd go whoo okay the Bible also said there's no crying in heaven and I know if that gets exposed up there I'm going to be crying So how does that work? Well, the last part of that verse. When my God will judge all of our thoughts through. And and I've shared this with you before, but the through is is Christ. And it's kind of like the coffee filter, okay? Those of you who like coffee, most of you, there's a few of you who are a little off and we just love you anyway, but most of you don't like grounds in your coffee. There was a song a long time ago, you know, ground, you remember that? Yeah, some of you are dating yourself by remembering that song. But there was a song, we don't like grounds in our coffee. And so we put the filter there and the coffee grounds in it and the water hits it and the good stuff comes out the bottom. And the grounds that make the coffee bitter stay in the filter. Through my gospel, it's like everything we've ever thought is pressing 100% fast towards the day of judgment. And it hits the cross and the only thing that comes through this side is the good stuff. You are a child of God who is loved unconditionally by the God 
of the ages. And what John says to the church is don't allow that to begin to paralyze you in fear. The thought of future judgment shouldn't cause us to tremble. So how? First of all, embrace how much you are loved by God the Father through his son Jesus Christ. You and I need to get a healthy understanding of what it means to be loved unconditionally. How? Stop sometime, whatever you're doing, and go out and get alone, okay? Go out in a field, turn off the phone, go out in the barn, go out in your garage, go get in your car and park by a lake. Get alone somewhere and just stop and begin to think and to contemplate and to meditate on Scripture that tells you how much God loves you. And I promise you, you will begin to worship. You may sing, you may cry, you may pray, you may rejoice, you may raise your hands, you may fall on your face, you may get on your knees. But if you and I will stop and really begin to understand what it means that we are loved unconditionally by the God of the ages through His Son, Jesus Christ, it will change your life. And then secondly, begin to take that love and express it to other people. If you and I will begin to spend the majority of our life knowing the love of Christ, knowing the love of God for us through Jesus Christ, and sharing that love and putting the needs of others and loving them as Christ loves them ahead of ourselves, what's going to happen one of these days is we're going to get to heaven and in judgment we are going to hear the son say, he is mine, she is mine, and then he's going to look at us and say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's what inspired Paul to write in in Galatians 3.26, For you all are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You and I need to begin to drive fear from our life by thinking about the love of God for us and the word of God for us and then living the love of God to other people. And when I do that, The third part of this is, I remember the starting point. Look at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. The confidence, the boldness that we have, not arrogance, but boldness that we have in Jesus Christ to to know that, that things are settled and done. That confidence is not the end of itself. Okay? That's not the end result. The confidence that I have in Jesus Christ, the love of God for me, and the continuing in love gives me the opportunity to act morally. See, the purpose of the love of God is to love others. It is to cause me to act. Notice what he says. It's not that I celebrate the love of God. He begins with a command. He begins with a statement of action. We love. We love. We get the love. We show love. We love because he first loved us. The love of God that I recognize and rest in and get confidence in produces moral action in my life. I love others. And so the love of God becomes the reset button. You know, it's kind of like, do you know where the reset button is on your computer? I told the early service, I know where the reset button is on my computer. It's the plug. You know, a, a, a default breaker goes out, you go and you hit the reset button. A breaker goes out in your house, you go flip the breaker, you reset. The love of God becomes the reset button for the child of God. 
when I begin to get irritated with somebody, or I begin to feel sin welling up in me, or I begin to, to, to get angry, or I begin to begin to doubt, those types of things, stuff starts welling up inside of me, I go back to the love of Christ. It becomes a reset. And I hit the reset button, and then I just start all over. The, the mercies of God are new and fresh every single morning. I just, it just resets. I get to start over. Reset. I get to start over. You see, the love of God for me is unconditional. It doesn't change. It's not based on whether or not I'm, I'm doing well or I'm messed up. God still loves me. And, and, and so because of that, I get to hit the reset button, and we love. I love someone else through who Jesus Christ is in my life. President Reagan, Ronald Reagan, once asked one of the pilots of Air Force One, why did he try to land at the very start of the runway all the time? This guy just, he always wanted to land at the very start of the runway. He asked him, he said, why do you always want to land at the start of the runway? And the pilot kind of smiled and he looked at President Reagan. He said, well, President Reagan, every good pilot knows you can't use the runway that's behind you. You can't use the opportunities that are behind you. What's in my past is in my past. I can't change that. All I can do is bring it to God and surrender it to him and confess it and say it's over and it's done. What I do is from this moment forward, I hit the reset button. And because God loves me, I can love somebody else. We love. I get the opportunity to love people that I don't agree with. I get the opportunity to love people who don't agree with me. I get the opportunity to love people who don't believe in Jesus Christ. I get the opportunity to love people who need their life changed. I get to love people who who are alienated from God because of something that happened in the life of someone else a long time ago. I get the opportunity to love. We love. Because he first loved us. What inspired the Apostle Paul to write in Philippians 3. He says, This one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing towards what is ahead, I move forward to take as my goal to take hold of the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. That's my goal. Can't do anything about that. All I can do is from this moment forward, understand that God loves me unconditionally and allow the love of God to move through me to touch somebody else's life that they might be saved. That's God's goal for who we are. That's his desire for life. That that is scripture from beginning to end. It's, It's what God wants us to understand. It is the purpose and it is the mission of the church to love people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And nothing has changed about that. why Jesus came it's why he set up the church and he set it up as as this light on a hill a city on a hill not something to be hid not something to be quiet about but something to be bold and confident and aggressive and living the love of God to a world that desperately needs to see the love of Christ let me tell you something Laws are not going to change this world. Should we impact laws? You bet. But nothing that happened Friday changed who God is. Nothing. Should we try to impact them? You bet. 
Man, if you feel called of God to run for political office, run. Do it. And be a godly person when you do it. Should we pass more legislative laws to stop abortion? If we can, you bet. But let me tell you, we're not going to end abortion. We're not going to end homosexuality. We're not going to end adultery. We're not going to end tax evasion. We're not going to end in murder and, and, and theft. And Laws aren't going to change anything. This past week, with what happened in South Carolina, there were two presidential candidates for the Republican Party who were asked about the issue of the flag. Should the flag come down? I was impressed by what both Dr. Ben Carson, African-American uh, neurosurgeon who's running for uh, president, and Reverend former Governor Mike Huckabee had to say about that issue. And this is what they both said. And I really liked it because it's what I believe and it's what I've said in other things prior to their saying it. They didn't get it from me. It's just solid theology. Their statements to whether or not the Confederate flag needs to come down was this. It's just a flag. And taking down the flag isn't going to change anything. Both of them said the only thing that's going to change anybody is a change in their heart through a relationship to Jesus Christ. That's our job. Tell people about faith. Love people in faith because God loved us first. It's our job. And to be bold, confident in what we do. And, and, and that's your task. To let the word of God challenge you to live your faith boldly so that somebody else might know the love of God. Maybe you're here this morning. And the reality is right now the Holy Spirit is just pounding on the door of your heart. And what God is trying to tell you is you may have been trying to do this. You've been trying to earn it. Maybe, maybe you're a kid, a child. Maybe you're a young adult. But, but the reality is you've been trying all you can to feel like you need to be saved. You deserve to be saved. Let me tell you something. You can't. That's why it's called unmerited favor. Amazing grace. It is by God's grace alone. You can't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't get baptized enough. Matt baptized poor Laura twice. And she was no more saved the first time than she was the second time. She was saved when she accepted the grace of God in her life and her heart was changed. That's when salvation comes. You can't give enough. You can't teach enough. You can't attend enough. You can't sing enough. What you need is a heart relationship to Jesus Christ. And maybe this morning that's where you are and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is knocking at the door of your heart. And what you need to do is you need to pray and ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. You need to call upon the name of the Lord something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I am a sinner. And I believe by faith in your grace that you died on the cross that you came to this earth and lived a holy, sinless, perfect life and you went to the cross for me to become the filter of God's grace. And I believe that you died and were buried and rose again the third day and even now you're at the right hand of God. 
And I ask you, Jesus, upon my belief and my faith in you to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins, to be Lord of my life, and give me a home in heaven. And if you would pray a prayer like that today, then I want to challenge you to stand up and be bold and and ask God, God, give me the confidence to be bold today and tell somebody I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to invite you to come and stand here and say, I've asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. Let me tell you what we're going to do. First of all, we are going to rejoice with you that God changed your heart. Secondly, we are going to celebrate with you as a church that God has changed your heart. You heard the the testimony of praise, a clap of applause. It wasn't for Laura. It's for what God did in her life. We're going to celebrate with you what God has done. We are going to give you scripture to stand on, and we are going to seal your decision in prayer. There's some of you here this morning need to come and say, you know what? I want to unite my membership with this church. This is a church I want to be a part of. Is this a perfect church? Absolutely not. If she were perfect, I could not be its pastor, and I don't say that lightly. But she is a great, God-loving, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. And if this is where you need to be, you need to come in a moment and say, I want to put my membership in this church. There's a lot of us here today, and the honest truth is we need to hit the reset button. The breaker's tripped. And there's something in our life that is interfering with the love of God for us moving through us to touch somebody else and we may need to sit where we are stand or kneel or come to the altar and fall on our face and say God today I want to hit the reset button I know you love me I ask you to forgive me and I want to begin to love others through you what does God want to do in your life